everybody. We're so excited to be here today to kick off season three of our podcast. And we're even more excited to start our conversation with Emma Warlow on the importance of play in our lives. Emma is an entrepreneur, a mother of three, a writer, a podcaster, and a big dreamer. Emma's biggest skill is her imagination, which she used to grow an international agency specializing in child and family insights, the Pineapple Lounge, for some of the biggest brands on the planet. Think Google, Nike, Adobe, and more. For 12 years, Emma schooled the world's biggest brands on how to innovate for Generation Alpha and empathize with today's parents. Mid-pandemic, on maternity leave with baby number three, Emma took the leap to step aside from her big girl job to... Well, play more. Her new venture, The Playful Den, emerged off the back of a thriving social media community, and Emma now focuses her work on helping individuals, businesses, and families to play more. Emma's on a mission to inspire people to make play a part in their well-being toolkit and make small lifestyle tweaks to live playfully. Emma, so happy that you're here with us today. Anything you'd like to add? That was great, actually. I feel like I know who I am, (laughs) where I'm going. No, that was a wonderful introduction. Thank you very much. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for making it easy because you have such an impressive and interesting background, Emma. We're so happy that you're here with us and there's clearly a lot to talk about. So let's talk. Welcome to Being Me. We like to start our Being Me podcast by asking you to tell us a little bit about teenage Emma. Did you have a nickname? Whose poster was on your wall? Were you confident or shy? Did you participate in school activities? Were you a sports person, debate drama? I mean, what was Teen Emma like? Oh, I love this. I've always had a slight obsession with being different in a kind of, not in a sort of emo, goth, subcultural (laughs) way, just I've always really enjoyed being different. And I think how that manifested itself in my teen years is probably through imagination and creativity. So I've always been a really big reader. I read a lot as a child and continued to do so throughout my teen years. So I was always with a book. Yeah, I was always really into my imagination. I was always a really big dreamer. I still am. And so yeah, often sort of just going off into my imagination, thinking about where I wanted to live, where I wanted to travel, what I wanted to be. So yeah, I think I was just a little bit living in Emma land. And I have always been quite independent, probably from earlier than the teen years, but obviously even more so in those years. So I, you know, I never had parents sort of looking after my social schedule or anything like that. So I felt quite excited by running my own life. I had my first job when I was 13. I used to sweep up hair in the hairdressers and I've worked since I was 13 and I've always really enjoyed work and being paid. I thought it was amazing that I could go and work in hairdressers when I was 13, which just felt like playing hairdressers to me. And then at the end of the day, I'd sort of get paid 20 pounds and I could walk off into town and buy some lipstick. And I was just going to ask you what you used it for. (laughs) (laughs) Buy lipstick, buy a meal at McDonald's. And I just (laughs) thought that was absolutely brilliant. Yeah, I was quite industrious, I think. I was sort of really into having a job and feeling like I was in charge of my own life and definitely being different, standing out and very imaginative. I love what you said about going off into your imagination. I can tell that that has followed you into your current work. So as I mentioned, you're the founder of the Pineapple Lounge. Can you share a little bit about your work with brands? I mean, what sort of insights were they turning to experts like you to help them to learn more about kids and tweens and teens? Yeah. So my background is in qualitative research. So Mm -hmm. for anyone that's 
not familiar with research, there's sort of two types of research. There's a quantitative, which is more numbers, data, surveys. That's not really my bag. I'm, I can't count. <laughs> not really my thing. And then there's qualitative, which is talking to people studying how people live, how they behave, what values they have, why they make the decisions that they make. So that's the type of research that I specialised in. And I've always pretty much my whole career focused on family, kids and youth. So I started the Pineapple Lounge in 2010. That is the year that Generation Alpha were born. That is the year that iPad was launched. It's also the year that I became a mum for the first time. I was 27. I had our son, Phoenix. And I started the agency. I'd already got experience in children's research, but I really had a vision to just find new ways of doing research. It felt like methods and the perspective hadn't shifted for a new generation. So started small, just started as me. And then it grew and I ran and led that business for 11 years. We had offices in London and New York, quite an extensive team. And I mean, I worked for everyone that's doing exciting, cool stuff in the kids and family space, Disney, Lego, Mattel, Hasbro, Netflix, Nike, an amazing, amazing breadth of experience working for these global brands. And most of the time, what they were asking us to do was quite deep exploratory work around trying to understand generational shifts, trying to understand how parenting was changing, trying to understand trends. That was a big part of what we did. Predicting the future was another element. But yeah, my core role for all of that time and still is kind of part of what I do now was to look at the world through the eyes of kids and to really have this kind of kid's eye view on life and particularly to try and dissect and understand what we would call kid culture. So the popular culture that was important to right. them and their games, their characters, their stories, the platforms that they're using. So it was really in-depth, fascinating work from a professional point of view and also personally as a parent as well. I have to ask, what were some of the most interesting insights that stood out about Gen Z versus Gen Alpha? I think Gen Z have been very focused on correcting and fixing the world. So they're real problem solvers. They're really sort of rally to try and like justice, have a big sort of sense of justice and improve things. Whereas I think Alpha have been training to build a new world. So rather than the kind of fixing things and sort of trying to make things better, more just absolutely tearing it up and building a new world. And right from an early age, when you look at the games that they've had access to, it's specifically the open world gaming experience that they've had an early age that's quite different to Gen Z. So going into Roblox, into the metaverse, Minecraft, even Fortnite, Animal Crossing, these kind of games that are like really core to their early gaming experiences are all about world building. And I think that's a sort of a kind of focus that's different between the two generations. That is fascinating to me. I appreciate your sharing some of those learnings. Now, Emma, a little birdie told me that you strapped GoPros on kids to study <laughs> their play patterns. Is this true? I have to learn more. And I am also curious whether you saw a difference in the play patterns depending on the child's gender. When I started the Pineapple Lounge, as I said, we wanted to explore different ways of doing things. And 
one of the things about when you're doing research with kids is it's obviously it's quite unnatural, particularly for younger children. You've never met them before. They're a stranger. Maybe you're going into their home. Maybe you're bringing them into a space they've never been into before. So we used GoPros to get a kid's perspective on the world. So literally to look from their level. And yeah, studying how they play was one of the things that we did. And we were working for some brands who were kind of getting challenged about the types of products that they were putting out that felt very split by gender. And yet a lot of the data that they would get back from either parents or through surveys or through other research techniques would suggest that this was serving how girls versus boys played. So we put these cameras, it was on boys specifically, to pick up all of the ways that they played. And it's not just doing swords and shooting each other and rough and tumble, all of which we saw lots of. You know, there were also moments of picking up dolls and acting out stories and nurturing with animals and even the boys that probably wouldn't self-report on that if you ask them like how do you play they would maybe focus more on the action play but we were able to just see like the breadth of like how children play of course children have a preference to different styles and that's related to their character their personality or how they've been socialized but actually we saw much more of a breadth across both genders when we were able to just watch and see what the kids did when they weren't being how interesting what a great way to break down some of those gender stereotypes and do it with data yeah and I read that as part of your research practices at the Pineapple Lounge, you did something called streetscaping. Can you share what that is and what you learned about kids and teens through that? Yeah, I still do a bit of this now in my new business. Essentially, we would go out with teens into interesting cities. And what we were looking to understand is like, what is exciting to them? So everything from different like graphics and typographies to how window displays looked to inside of stores, how things were laid out. Yeah, really sort of looking to understand how they like to move around their environments, what is exciting to them, what feels safe, what feels like unsafe, what feels like they really want to get involved in that, all of those kind of things. So just hanging out with them in different cities and often we would get them to take photographs as well so we could kind of see what other things that they're capturing that they're interested in. This is all just so fascinating to me. (laughs) We could spend hours talking about what you learned, but I'm going to move on to something else that I found interesting, which is in your Playful Gen work, you talk about time to set play free and you say it's the time to hashtag live playfully. Can you explain a little bit about the idea here and kind of share how you think this applies to teens in their everyday lives? Because we have a lot of teen listeners today. Definitely. So I use the hashtag live playfully. I've been using that for a couple of years now. And that's because for me, like play is more of a philosophy, a way of living, a way of seeing life rather than just one particular activity. Of course, there's crossover. But for me, play is an attitude as much as it is an activity. And what I mean by that is when you look at what make something play. So if we break down, like, what are the characteristics that mean you're playing? It's things like you've chosen to do it yourself. It's things like there's some guidance, but the rules are flexible. It's about being able to apply your imagination. It's about doing something just because you want to for fun, just for the sake of it. 
And it's about kind of how do you apply that? We know we can get that in play, but how do we apply that to the rest of our lives? Like how might you apply that to approaching a really boring chore? How might you apply that to a really stressful situation? Like what elements can you change around either the environment or the way you feel about it to just bring your playfulness into it? I think sometimes when we hear the word play, we think like bouncy castles and bright colours and toys and very kind of like extroverted ways of being. And of course, all of those things are play, but it's true essence. Play is really about flow and about being focused, but non-stressed. And it's just about how do we get more of that into our lives? And just to give you an example, like a really easy example to understand is when you're about to do a really boring chore, so maybe it's some housework or whatever it might be, most people will go and put on some music. And that's a kind of a switch, like it's an instinct, like no one has really taught you to do that. No one is constantly reminding you to do that. We just kind of do it. And that is our inbuilt playfulness telling us to do that. That's like our human nature to say, here's something that I don't really want to do, but I'm going to turn it into an opportunity and find a way to change the environment to make it more enjoyable. And if we don't stop there, if we take that skill, that's already, it's innate in all of us. Everyone has playfulness. It's a characteristic that you can just develop and bring out. And if we keep going with that, we can apply that to any part of our life. There's so much here. First of all, I think this is so fascinating because we know that play is so good for your mental health. I mean, it's proven to help ease stress and improve your overall well-being and also inspire creativity and problem solving. So there's that aspect of it. You said something about it being inbuilt, but then also kind of bringing that out. So are you saying that that in play, it's something that people innately know how to do, but then part of it is something you can teach and nurture and bring out? I mean, how would you think about that? So playfulness, it's not a personality trait. It's a thing that we all have. Play is how humans actually want to be. If you think about how we start off in life, no one teaches you how to play. That's just what we do. And the role of play in childhood is in order to sort of prepare us and learn about the world and learn about ourselves. And we do everything through play. We have to. It's part of our survival. It's a critical part of our development. I think when we get older, And even this starts happening sort of from nine, 10, like the tween years and then into the teen years, play disappears, like it dries up. We don't play as much. Life becomes more about productivity rather than about play. So it becomes about our exam results. It becomes about how many followers we've got on social media, how many friends we've got, how successful we are at our relationships. And those things become the sort of focus and how we measure our success or whatever it might be, the things that we kind of have to crack. And it starts in childhood. We know that our human brain doesn't finish developing until it's 25, (laughs) but we stop playing really quite early and we should never stop playing. We should play all through our lives. And of course, the role of play, it does evolve for children. They have to play and they should be playing all the time for adults And maybe for teens, although I would argue they need to play a lot more than they do, you know, we do have responsibilities. We do have other things to do. We can't be playing all the time. And that's why I talk about... I would love to play all the time. (laughs) It'd be nice, wouldn't it? (laughs) That's why I talk about uh, playfulness, because playfulness is slightly different to play in that the activity that you're doing, it might not be play, but you Hmm. are trying to manipulate it in some way to make it more playful. That's like the example with the music and the chores. 
Oh, that's so interesting. So if I'm a teen and I'm bogged down with finals and homework after homework and social stuff going on and commitments and activities, I may not have all the time in the world like I used to play, but I could probably find moments to bring a sense of playfulness in a way that still helps beat my stress, kind of lift my mood in that moment, probably lift the mood of others around me as well. And I think revision is a good example to use. So revision, probably most teens, not that enjoyable. (laughs) Some people probably (laughs) do like it, probably appeals to those people who like sort of collecting facts and remembering and that sort of thing. But for a lot of people, it's not enjoyable, not play, it's work. Mm -hmm. So then we think about, okay, how do we use our playfulness to make a task that we probably wouldn't choose to do? more Mm. enjoyable. So if you're a person, because we all have our own play identity, we all have our own kind of play personality, a way of playing that really lights us up. If you're a person that really likes competition, for example, you can figure out a way to gamify it and turn it into a competition. If you're a person that really likes planning and leading and directing, these are the kids who have really immaculate colour-coded ways of revising because they sort of actually really enjoy that planning and that organising and the colours and the cards and things like that. So you can use that. Or if you're a person that is more a storyteller, perhaps you can bring in some kind of characters or stories, little metaphors into the things that you're trying to remember to make it stick more with you. So Mm. you can kind of bring your play style to the thing that you're doing that you don't necessarily want to do to try and make it more more enjoyable and also more memorable for you. That makes sense. I'm wondering for people who have lost touch with their sense of playfulness and what their play identity is just because of, you know, everything going on right now, just getting all of us down in some way, where would you recommend they start to get back in touch with remembering where they could find playfulness or bring play back into their lives in a meaningful way. Mm. So you can ask people around you that you're comfortable with, like, when is the last time you saw me really lit up on fire? Like, when was I just totally vibing? When did you see me like that? And what was I doing? And then you, if, you, if you ask a few people, you can see, are there any patterns between the activities that people tell you? So maybe every single person was like, oh, it was when you were mountain biking or whatever. Mm. You can see if there's any connection. Another way is to also reflect back on how you played as a child. So if you think about as a kid, when the times when you were just in flow, just felt so free, so joyful, have a look at the activities that spring to mind as most memorable and think about like, what was your play style like as a kid? For example, you might look back and think, oh, you know, I really used to like myself on, I don't know, roller skates or I did quite a lot of stuff that was really risky. And like, you might think, wow, I was really adventurous. And then just have a think, how does that show up in your life now? And it might be like, actually, I never take any risks. I'm really safe. I don't really do any activities that get my adrenaline going. And then you can kind of just try and work out what would be a stepping stone to perhaps get a little bit of that back into your life. It's not that you have to go back and like replicate every activity that you did as a kid because you might not want to and you might have moved on and that might not be the solution, but more like looking for like what was the attitude or what was the personality of how you played as a kid and what activities might you be interested now that brings that out in you. I love that. Just looking back at a time where once upon a time, you surely you played. Yeah. (laughs) And And there was something that lit you up. So 
Today's kids and teens spend a lot of time in digital spaces. I want to talk about that a little bit in terms of what counts as play. Does it count as play when it happens in spaces like Roblox or Pinterest or Minecraft? Can you talk to me about that a little bit? Yeah. So what the science shows is when we're playing video games, it does light up the same part of our brains. So yes, it is a form of play. However, with the screens, what I'd say is when we're playing, there is always the characteristic of when we're playing always comes with leading to something good. So when we play, we either like makes us feel good or maybe we make social connections or improves our mental health, improves our physical health. Like there's always a positive benefit from play. And that's a good check-in to see the gaming that you're doing or whatever the activity is that you're doing. Is it having a positive impact? If it's not, it might not be play. It might be something else like addiction, for example. The other thing I would say is that variety in play is really important. So one thing that can happen when we get older is that we tend to do things that we're good at or things that we're comfortable at. So when we're a kid, we just try anything. Like we just do whatever we feel like doing. If we see our friend riding a bike or whatever, we don't think, I don't think I'm going to be very good at that. I'm not going to have a go. We just kind of do it. We just get stuck in and we tend to lose that ability and it tends to come quite early and often it's because of fear of judgment. So when kids start to get a bit older into those tween years, they can start to what we call like pruning activities. So they start to just cut out activities out of their lives that probably make them feel good and bring them a lot of joy because perhaps they've now had the realisation that they're not as good as that person over there. They can't make that team or they're never going to get a career in this particular thing, which is kind of what everything suddenly feels like the focus. So they prune away these oh. activities. So with the digital, it's just balance, really. And it's about just checking in that you've got a variety within your play. And digital might be one of the ways that you play. But if it's the only way that you play, then I would say that is something to just check in and think about because you do want that breadth and tactile play is really important. Touching things with our hands, having face-to-face experiences, all of these things are proven. They help our memory, they help our mental health, they help our creativity. So I'm certainly not someone that sort of like demonizes games, but yeah, just checking in on, you know, is it having a good effect? And do you have variety within your play? And then the other thing I'd say is that the type of game as well. So games that are like open world games, world building games, they're really Mm -hmm. stimulating for imagination and creativity. Other times where you're more passively scrolling content and you're kind of just watching, 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 that is less so. We all need mind numbing escapism (laughs) entertainment, but (laughs) that would not be play versus like going into a universe and building something. Those are really good examples in the digital world of the types of play that are helpful versus potentially less helpful or don't even qualify as play. Do you have any other specific examples, either digital or non-digital, of really good beneficial types of play versus examples of play that's less mm. beneficial? Because I think I, that's really helpful to just you know put some color around it. The other thing to look out for that I do think is beneficial is when content changes your real world behavior as in the content sparks play Ah. in real life. So might be a bit young for your audience, but if you're into it, keep going with it, guys, because it's really therapeutic. Slime making has obviously been huge and a lot of kids 
would watch the slime making and then they'd want to go and do the recipes. So we see a real correlation here from watching yeah. content and then doing it in real life. So I think content that inspires you to do stuff in the real yeah. world is another good one to look out for. Yeah. And then things like TikTok dances, they're a form of play. Like I see teens learning those dances and making yeah. the videos together. I think that's like for social play and doing that together is almost like a kind of teen version of what younger kids do when they put on shows and make performances and show their parents and grandparents. You see that in the like TikTok learning the different dancers making the video. It's kind of like a sort of elevated version of that yeah. for teens. Um, but the one watch out I would say with TikTok is it's like everyone is fishing around in the same ideas pool and it can kind of rather than inspire your creativity and imagination sometimes it's just like you're consuming other people's so right that's just another thing to be cautious around like if you are someone that really enjoys creativity and you really enjoy using your imagination both of which are really good for you just make sure that you hold space for your own original thinking your own original ideas and you're not just kind of replicating from the same pool as everyone else that's so important and this is not just applicable to teens. I'm sitting here just digesting everything that you're saying and, totally. and reflecting Totally, this is on. relevant for everyone. Yeah, yeah. For sure. So help me connect the dots. I think you got at this a little bit, but I just want to dig in a little bit further. One thing that we're hearing from teens who are coming into the BME platform and then also from our teen advisory board is that there's a lot of stress right now around school, around grades, around getting into university. How can being playful be an antidote to teen hustle culture? How can teens think about play as an antidote to all of the stress that they're experiencing right now? One of the things that we're told, aren't we, from a variety of experts and sources is the importance of being in the present and being in the moment. And I think what can happen as a teen when you take on more worries, more stresses, is that you're constantly projecting into the future. And a lot of the future is unknown. Mm. It really is unknown. And this is very unique for this generation to be growing up with so much uncertainty ahead of them. But we cannot control what we cannot control. Focusing just on the moment and just on the present and day by day is a really important practice to help with those spiraling thought loops of what if this happens? What if this, you know, those worst case scenario loops that, you know, not just teens, but I think everyone gets I don't know into. what you're talking about, Emma. No, I know. I've never gotten into one of those <laughs> thought loops. <laughs> this is nothing to worry about these days, is there? And play... That's what play does. When you play, you're undistracted. You can't play if you're yeah. distracted. If you're distracted, you're not playing. It's not playing. And yeah. you're focused, but you're not stressed. That's the ultimate state for play. Focus, but focused, not, not stressed. But not stressed. Yeah. And it's a form of mindfulness. Sometimes I call it active mindfulness because yeah. it is a form of mindfulness, but mindfulness is not really joyful. You don't really get the feeling of joy or fun from mindfulness. Yeah. It's more like calm relaxation, whereas with play, you do. There's a double benefit from play. It's a mindful activity in that it keeps you present in the here and now, but That's it's right. also joyful, brings something else to layer on. That's right. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. I've never thought about it that way. It's and then I think the other way that it does it is because basically like how you play is who you are. To play is to be is something that I say, like you are the sum of what you play. Like that is who you are. The things that you want to play, if you want to draw, you want to write, you want to move your body, you want to dance, like all of these things are who you are. 
And I think it reconnects us with our humanity, which is something that when we spend a lot of time in digital spaces, we can lose touch with. And when we're forming our identity, which is what happens in the teen years, we're a little bit uncertain about who we are, who we want to be. But in play, we know that is who we are. So it constantly sort of brings us back to our authentic self, to use a slightly overused term, but that is what it's doing. I'm just repeating this to myself over and over. <laughs> How you play is who you are. How I play yeah. is who I yeah. am. Wow. The way that you show up in play, that is the real you. So when you come to play, sense. you bring your authentic self. We all have different sides to ourselves. You're so, yeah. so I'm someone's wife, someone's mother, someone's sister. I have clients. I have a right. job. But in play, I'm just me. <laughs> no one else. In play, I'm just me. <laughs> wow. That's so true. I'm wondering, none of us live in complete isolation of the worlds around us. So something I think a lot about is how parents, caregivers, and educators too in schools can encourage kids and teens to do certain things or kind of create an environment that encourages the things that we want kids and teens to do. How here do you think that caregivers and educators could encourage teens to incorporate play into their daily routine or make space for it, especially mm -hmm. in today's digital age and again in an age where there's just a lot of stress day to day? I would say to put something playful on your to-do list every day, because I think that we've sort of reached a point where it's really easy to suddenly be like, oh my God, I haven't played or had any fun for weeks. And that's not living. I was going to say years. That's not, yeah. <laughs> and for adults, for sure, it can be. A lot of my work is with parents and, you know, they have kids and yeah. they're suddenly like, I don't even know what fun is anymore because I've just Aww. parented for so long. Yeah. So I think to put it on your to-do list, like if you struggle to fit it in, put it on your to-do list, like what are you going to do today that yeah. is playful for you and fun for you? And then I think for carers and for educators, it really is about keeping that childlike wonder alive. And I'm sure they all have different ways of doing that. But it's like bring Play-Doh into the classroom, do problem solve with Lego, like bring in yeah. tactile materials that it's sort of a really easy to spark that sense of childlike wonder. You know, right. you smell a can of Play-Doh, it's like getting a joy shot. <laughs> um, oh, absolutely. <laughs> so these things are important. And sometimes they can be so easy to strip out. I used to run a lot of workshops and we'd sort of play games and do things at the beginning to get the kids warmed up. And often when you'd be trying to save time and the clients would be like, you know, can you reduce the length of the warm up so that we can have more? time yeah. on the stuff and never do that always hold the space for the play because if you hold the space for the play what you've got to do next happens easier if you've got to get them to do a difficult task if you can get them into a state of play first and hold the space for it it just like supercharges productivity supercharges productivity if you play first you'll be so much more efficient with your productivity because that's what play does. Yeah. It makes our brain ready to learn and it makes our brain in very, what's called like plasticity. It's like, oh, I'm ready. I'm ready to think of all the solutions. <laughs> that's kind Should of what's going on. <laughs> I mean, it makes sense. I mean, we should start the school day and the work day with some element totally. of play, even if it's just for a couple of minutes. Totally. Just to get the juices yeah. flowing, get our brain primed yeah. and in that creative space, yeah. ready to learn. And, and I think in the huh. adult world, I work a lot in the sort of corporate and business space. And I think there's mm -hmm. more of this is spoken about. Like I used to do like walk and talk meetings with mm -hmm. my team because if you're moving, 
your creativity goes up. You have better ideas. And the same, like if I've got a particularly heavy day, like I'm not starting that until I've like been swimming or being into nature or I have a hula hoop in my office. Like I literally (laughs) give myself a recess break. You must Um, be so fun to be around, Emma. (laughs) And I have sometimes I wear roller skates under my desk just to remind me like I'm just a person. It's not that deep. It's not that serious. This is my inspo for the day to go find something to keep at my desk. Oh, how lovely. This is such a constructive conversation, Emma. I think it's going to help a lot of teens and the rest of us remember how to incorporate more playfulness into their lives, into our own lives. I'm just so appreciative for this enlightening conversation. It's a pleasure. Uh, Before we go, I'm wondering, what advice would you like to leave our teen listeners today? I think the advice I would give is to... Just remember that the childhood that isn't that long ago for teenagers is still a part of you. So I think we can have this sense of like, you do childhood and then you've left it. You're not in it anymore. And actually, it's more of a continuum. Like we're just one person moving through life. Like, yes, there are different developmental stages and changes as we grow up, but we are on a continuum. So stay connected to that childlike you. It's not that far away. It was only a few years ago. And don't overly prune things from that childhood that brought you joy. Try and find ways of adapting them or bringing them in or making them kind of more relevant to what you're into now, because you are just a continuum. You don't just process through childhood and then you're spat out the other side and it's gone, it's done, it's over you're the same person. That child is still there within you. So stay connected to them. That is just so wonderful to think about. Thank you, Emma. It was so great to hear about your work and we're so appreciative for all of the advice that you had for us to remember to live playfully. Thank you for having me. Of course. Until next time, this is Dr. Neha Chaudhary and our podcast producer, Derek Baird, reminding you to keep being you and don't forget to take time to play. 